Good evening, everyone. Good evening. There we go. I got 75% that time. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. 95. 95. That's good. We'll work with that. Well, great. Well, welcome back to uh, week four. It's hard to believe we're already in week four of our uh, discipleship equipping class. Um, it's, hopefully, it's been helpful for you. Um, it's always refreshing and convicting to go back through this material again myself. Um, so let me open us up in prayer, and then uh, we'll jump back in. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for such a sweet Lord's Day where we can get together with one another and um, really in this hour just sharpen each other as we're thinking through these principles of how to help people follow Christ better. And um, Lord, who's sufficient for these things? None of us are. But Lord, you are. Um, you are our power, our sufficiency, um, our only hope in this endeavor, and um, we're humbled just by the fact that you saved us and you're changing us and that you're using us to um, to help other people change to be more like you. So we just come before you tonight um, humbled in need and yet confident that you will help us. So we pray that um, your spirit would encourage each one here. Um, in different ways, to, to have a big view of you in this process and encourage our hearts, um, stimulate our hearts to be uh, more faithful tomorrow um, as a result of, of what we hear tonight. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so let's uh, just quickly review where we've been. I'll, I like to do this every time. Who, is this anybody's first time to the Discipleship Equipping class? Be bold, raise your hand. All right, a couple of you guys. Great. Well, welcome. If you've not been here, everybody else, you get the chance to catch these folks up. All right, week one, what did we go over? Where do we start in this class? A biblical vision of discipleship. A biblical vision of discipleship, and what, what does that mean? What are we talking about there? When... Buying through the church. What's that? Buying through the church. Okay, so discipleship should happen. When we begin to think about discipleship, it happens in and through the local church, right? So anytime we start with a topic, we want to try to think through carefully what does the Bible say about that topic. Like we, want, we, want to, we want a biblical vision before we start thinking about application and practices. So we started there, um, trying to frame that up. And I gave you guys three key texts. What were they? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And why is that one significant? Somebody besides Isaac? <laughs> I'm just messing with you, bro. You're doing great. <laughs> What? The Great Commission. The Great Commission, yes. And what do we see there? Conversion, baptism, and teaching. Okay, conversion and baptism and then teaching. Those are kind of the, the, the way discipleship is carried out. Yeah, there's a lot. That's sort of our main text we can hang everything on. Discipleship is the mission of the church, right? And it happens through conversion, telling others about Jesus, so they come to him, and then equipping them, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. So we want to set this as this is, the, this is our mission of the church, our mission individually is disciples to be making disciples. So it's not optional. And then we saw how that's carried out where? The book of Acts. The book of Acts, right. So what do we learn there? I think you said it just a second ago. It's done by and through the local church. It's done by and through the local church. That's right. So fundamentally, what we see there in, in, you know, in the storyline of Acts is the first apostles preach the gospel. They preach it clearly. Converts are made. Those converts are gathered into the church in Jerusalem. They're edified and built up. Leaders are raised up from within that church. Persecution hits. Some of those leaders scatter like Philip. He goes and plants more churches. Um, those churches are established. Eventually, um, Paul and Barnabas are raised up out of a local church. They're sent out. Um, and so the gospel is multiplying. Churches are being planted. As churches mature, more leaders come. Uh, and it does, the cycle just continues to repeat. So the point of Acts is to show us how that Great Commission in Matthew 28 was originally carried out, and that's now our model. What was the third key text? Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. And what's significant about Ephesians 4? Is this just a pastor's job? Building out the equipping of the saints and growing together in accomplishing the fullness of Christ. Yep. So Ephesians 4 talks about how the equipping happens. The Lord's given certain leaders to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, but who's doing the work of the ministry? The saints. The saints. The saints are doing the work of the ministry, and it's each one of you have been gifted by Christ 
You're being equipped now in the church to use those gifts for the growth of the body. So, uh, and the way that's summarized at the, in verse 16 of chapter 4 is speaking the truth in love. So each one of us, no matter what your gifts are, are to use those gifts to promote the truth in the lives of each other so that more people come to know the truth and come to know it more clearly, as we're going to see tonight, and they're built up in the faith. That's good. So that was our vision. We laid that out, kind of the biblical framework. And then really weeks two through all the way to the end of our class is going to be, uh, has been, and will continue to be, what we've been calling the practices of discipleship. The practices. And what was week two? Modeling. Modeling. What do we mean by that? You should live a life worth following. So a discipler, someone who is discipling another person, it first starts with them, right? Why is that important? Why do we need to first look at our own lives and our own our own faithfulness before Christ? We don't want the two by four. What's that? Remove the two by four. So Remove the two by four. That's right. So yes, we don't. We want to avoid that. So Christ gave us the principle that as we as we start taking logs out of our eyes, we're going to be able to see clearly to take the speck out of our brother's eye. So point there is as is, is we follow Christ, as we become more and more faithful as a believer and a follower of Him, we're going to be able to see more clearly to help other people. And we'll see that again tonight. So first, first and foremost, we need to focus on um, who we are before Christ. Try to think how far in depth do we want to go in this review. Uh, what are some of the areas that we want to focus on in our lives? Do you remember? Do you have to be a perfect Christian before you can disciple? No, no. we need to handle our own sin. Okay, need to handle our own sin, handle it biblically. So what's involved in handling your sin biblically? Humility, Humility, repentance, confession, not doing what? Denying it. Not denying your sin. How do we do that? How are we tempted to do that? I'm going down the rabbit hole now. By minimizing our sin, by covering it up, by blaming it on other people, by what? Rationalize, ignoring. Yeah, we're going to go here tonight. That's why, I'm, that's why I'm going down the rabbit hole a little bit. Yeah, just, just bringing this back, okay? Just getting it fresh. All right, so we're handling our sin biblically. We're not blaming it on other things. We're owning it. We're confessing before the Lord. What else are we doing in that process of handling sin? Looking away from ourselves into who? To Christ. Why? He's our life. He's our life. He's, he's made the promises to us that he loves us. He'll forgive us of our transgressions and sins. He'll cleanse us. He's our power for change. So we're looking to him and looking to his promises. Yeah, so that's got to be first and foremost um, in our lives. We're going to come back to that again again tonight. What else needs to be in our lives as we're thinking about being a model? What was next on the list for you note-takers? Pursuing my renewal and growth. Okay, pursuing my renewal and growth yourself. So... You need to know the lies that you're tempted to believe in the areas of your, of your Christian life. You're getting clarity in that, learning how to renew your mind in those areas, because as you do that, what happens? You have clarity to help others. You have clarity to help others, yep. You have clarity to help others. We're able to help others. We hear the lies that, that others are, are believing because that, those are the same kinds of lies that we used to believe, and the Lord's now given us discernment. Yeah, we'll cut it off there in the week two review, all right? Week three, what did we learn last week? Befriending. What was the next quality of a, of a, of a discipler? Befriending. Befriending. What do we mean by that? Good. You can't disciple anybody if you don't know anybody, right? So um, what do we typically do when we come to church? Or what are we tempted to do? Not typically, but what are we tempted to do? kind of sit by yourself, do your own thing, talk to your three friends that you know. But what does Christ want us to be about? Reaching out. I just call it befriending. Welcoming others. Romans 15, 14 and 15. Um, having this outward focus. Because why? Because Christ welcomed us when we, when we were sinners, his enemies. He welcomed us in. He loved us. Brought us in close. And so we want to have that same warmth in our own lives. So we looked at that last week. Not that everybody that you befriend is going to be somebody you're discipling, but um, I like to 
think about it as it's, it kind of widens the pool, right? It gives you options uh, versus before you didn't have any if you were by yourself. So my goal in this is, is to kind of help you think about, okay, discipleship can happen in a number of ways. Like as a pastor, I can have somebody that needs discipling and somebody that wants to disciple, and I can pair them up, and that's great. And that happens a lot, and would be willing to make that happen more. Um, but what I want to teach you to do and what I think is a, kind of a best practice is you initiate those relationships yourself. And that was what last week was all about, is learning how to initiate um, those relationships. So um, any questions on any of that before we move forward to our topic for tonight? What stood out to you? I'm just curious. Over the last few weeks. Clay, I wasn't prepared for this. You should have given me a heads up. Not a, a loner life. It's a connecting life. It is. That's right. That's good. Yeah. Amen. We're all called to be initiators. What could you think about a change in your thinking that's happened over the last few weeks? You came in, I thought this way, and now I'm thinking this way. If not, that's fine. Maybe I'll come back and ask you again next week when you're prepped for that, prepped to share. It stuck out to me how, yeah. you could say, simple you're laying out. It's not this program with all these steps you got to remember. What do I do next? What do I do next? It's just very obvious and intuitive. You're dealing with sin in your own life. You're loving other people and befriending them and helping them deal with sin in their life. So just it's pretty obvious. You don't have to remember steps. Just do what, what seems obvious. Yeah, that's good. And especially tonight, it was we get into maybe some com- some of the complexities of, of helping people, in particular, renew their minds. I want to come back to the simplicity of it because all we're doing is trusting Jesus ourselves, like really trusting Him, trying to do that, and helping other people trust Him. That's a good way you could summarize all that we're doing tonight. We're, we're trusting Christ ourselves and learning to do that. If I can just trust Jesus in this area, you know, and I can just help others trust Jesus in this area, that's really all we're after. So, good. Well, if you have your outline from weeks prior, you will notice that tonight's topic is a bit different. I was intending to talk about prayer tonight, as and that being the next um, practice of a faithful discipler, somebody who prays, who intercedes. But, providentially, uh, Pastor Brian was out a few weeks ago in Sunday morning, and what I was intending to teach tonight, I preached to the whole church on Sunday morning. So we go home now? So we go home. <laughs> no, not that, not that easy. Yeah, so if you weren't here for that, it was that message from 1 John um, called Confident Prayer, I think it was. Um, from First John, and, and it's online. If you want to go back there, if you need a copy of it, I'm happy to supply that to you. I may tag that on toward the end here, but uh, I've already taught extensively on this the last time I preached, so I, I just want to refer to you, for, refer you to that sermon. And as I kind of got into the prep for, for tonight and next week, I realized there's a lot to say about um, teaching, which is the topic we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, and so I could, I could use the time to, to talk through that. It's not that I'm saying prayer is unimportant. So those of you who listen to that sermon, you understand from First John, prayer is extremely important. Yeah. Um, I made a point of talking to the pastor about your sermon, and I told him that he was delayed because I needed to hear it. Well, amen. I needed to study it. <laughs> Still trying to apply it. Um, but yeah, well, thanks for the encouragement there. All right, well, today we're going to talk about teaching. Okay, teaching. Um, so if you would, go ahead and open just back to Matthew 28. When we think about discipleship, teaching should be one of the first things we think about. It's, it's central. It may, it may not be in the way, the way that you're thinking about it. You probably think Pastor Brian or, or someone else you know, teaching from the, from the pulpit. That's definitely part of it. But teaching is central to this process, and I want you to just notice how central it is in the discipling process. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So from the Lord himself in our one of our anchor texts, our key text, Matthew 28, teaching is kind of central to this to this discipling relationship. And I'm, I've, I've caught it in the past, it's kind of the heart of the discipling relationship. Um, now, there's some things I don't mean. I don't mean that you're lecturing the people that you're, that you're sitting with. Um, far from it. All right? But Christ has told us to teach, to teach others to obey everything that he's commanded us. So, what does this imply? If we're to be teachers, if we're to think of ourselves as teaching others in discipling relationships and ourselves to be learners, what does this imply? Okay, we know the material, yeah. It's not, not, not complicated. This is the little game I like to play called Read Clay's Mind. <laughs> Clay, aren't you a student before you come in and teach us? Do you like study and prepare? Sure. So, I don't know, my guess is that we need to be students. Definitely, yeah, students. Yeah, I think... My point here is that this implies that we're going to be growing in our obedience over time. Does that make sense? We're going to be, need to be taught Christ. Like I'm going to need to be taught how to obey Jesus. So are you. And we're going to need to teach other people how to obey Jesus. And that's going to be progressive. It's going to happen over time. It's not all at once. And so... I think what's where, where I want to start, and just again, just kind of by way of review, is we've got to remember for ourselves and the people that we're interacting with that we still have that old Adamic nature lurking around. Remember that? Remember when we talked about that? He's still lurking there. She's still lurking there, even though you and I are saved. And this nature is deceived. Okay, so flip over to Ephesians four. Ephesians 4.22, again, I know we've, we've looked at this, but I want you to look at it again with your own two eyeballs. So some of these things are emblazoned in your mind. I want to keep repeating the same things over and over from you. So if you think, okay, what do I learn in a discipleship class? Like you, you come away with a few key ideas. And this is one of them. This may be one of the more important ones. Is we're regenerated in Christ where you have new, these, this new life, but we have a responsibility that comes with that. We have a responsibility, verse 22, to put off our old selves... That's that old edemic nature. And I want you to notice again how it's described. This old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, so it's the old you. It's not the new Christ, it's not the new you of that Christ has recreated. It's the old you. And this old you is corrupt through deceitful desires, or through the desires of deceit. So we have, just remember, we've got corruption. Through these desires that are deceived. It's coming from deceit. Okay? So really the deceit leads to the desire, which leads to the, the act of the corruption. You see this in the garden. Eve starts interacting with the snake. She gets deceived by the snake. She starts wanting this tree, the tree that would lead to her certain death. Because of why? Because she has a wrong perception of the tree. Remember that? She's, she makes a value judgment about this tree that God said would, would kill her. And so her deception leads to a wrong perception which makes her crave, she desires now, the tree that would lead to her death. And so then she acts on that desire and she takes the fruit. So she's corrupted. So the point, Paul's point, in this text, ESV translates it deceitful desires, but it's literally, I could put it like this, desires of deceit. That's the old you. It's corrupted through desires of deceit, or desires that spring out of deceit. So it's like, we're deceived, and then these desires are springing up out of this deception. That's the, the idea of the Greek construction there. That's very important. 
that you nail that down. Your old you is deceived. It leads to these desires, these wants that you have, these feelings, cravings for sin. And that sin, obviously, when you, when you act on those, it's corrupting. So does that make sense? Again, just, just reviewing that because we're going to build off that when it comes to other people as they come to you. So that means then the only hope we have is where? Most fundamentally. What needs to happen? Deception needs to be exposed with the truth. Deception needs to be exposed. We have to hit it here. That's the root. Okay? So I'm going to use this example a lot because it's one, of, it's one that I deal with, and I'm not, it's not that this is any worse than any other thing. But, okay, pornography. So you look, at, you look at pornography. There's the act. There's the taking. Where did that come from? It come from, it, we call it lust, or these cravings. Literally, that's all it means, is desire. Cravings. Why? Because you believed something back here. You believed that this image is good for me. It's going to fulfill something that I need. Well, that's a lie. That's not true. Your old man is already deceived because it's, he's in Adam. Old woman is already deceived. And so out of that deception comes this craving, and then out of that craving comes the, the act. So if we just cut off our devices, if we say, it's my phone's fault, I'm going to cut my phone off. Did you ever deal with this? No. We never did. And so we get rid of it. We, we, we set up covenant eyes. Then what happens? I have to look for work around. <laughs> Covenant eyes, because you never dealt with this, but then you say, well, how do you deal with a craving? Well, you have to get to the you have to get to the root of how you how you view something. What's going on? Are you are is this coming out of what's true and what God has said, or is it coming out of deception? So again, we're just gonna kind of layer layer our discussion tonight on some of these things. And I know in my mind I have at least two weeks. Okay? So I'm gonna take it slow. And ask me at any point if you have questions. It's going to do us no good to just keep me talking at you and you not understand kind of what I'm talking about. Is that fair? Do we have an agreement? Can I get your buy-in? Yes. Vocally? Yes. With enthusiasm? Yes. Okay. Because I talk a lot. Just ask Mary. So you just have to stop me. You just have to pr- press pause. So the only hope we have is the truth that can, like Christ said in John 8, the tr- you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay? And that comes to us, not from within ourselves, but from the outside, from the writings of the apostles and the prophets, from that preached in our pulpits, and from you and I as we've internalized that truth and we share with others. So again, this happens corporately. This this truth that's coming to us, it comes to us corporately as the leaders equip the body on Sundays. So we saw that back in chapter 4, verse 11. He gave the apostles the prophets. Now we have their writings. He gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So what are they equipping us with? They're equipping us with truth, God's truth, Christ's truth. So Christ's truth is coming to us from outside, from the pulpit, and we have this, this shepherding structure. Remember, we talked about that. We have Christ at the top. He's teaching us through the apostles and the prophets. So think our New Testament documents. Now we have those inscripturated and, and, and canonized. That's brought to us through evangelists. Think church planter. Okay? And pastor teachers, thank your elders. Okay, so evangelists and then pastor teachers. I'm, I'm just drawing off of the language in um, Ephesians 4.11, I think. Evangelists, pastors, teachers, and then that gets down to equipping of the body. So put Christ's truth. It's, it's kind of coming down through this. That's why he gave the. That's why he gave us the apostles and prophets. They're the foundation. They laid the foundation. Ephesians two, through their writings. Now we're picking that up here, through the truth, and that truth is 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 meant to disseminate down to the body, and the body is equipped. So this happens corporately, and this kind of trickle down effect, you know, in our local gatherings. 
but it also happens individually. So now, as this body's built up, there's, we might call it a core. There's a core of the membership that are growing. They're latching on. The Spirit's raising them up. And this, this body is growing now, and these people are working, and then they're, they're discipling more people of the body. Okay? So we, forgive my kind of crude, crude illustrations here. But as the body grows, it's discipling one another. So the body, he says down here in, in verse um, 16, yeah, we're go, we're, we'll get there. In 16, the body builds the body up. The body makes the body grow. If you were to take out everything in between there, the subject of that verse is the body. And it, the verb is builds. The body builds the body. So as we're discipling one another, this, this body's being built up. And then you see exactly what this looks like in verse 25 and how each one of us are involved. This is where you just went. Therefore, Paul says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So it happens corporately. Truth comes to us from the outside through preaching. It gets disseminated down all the way into the individual relationships in the body as you are speaking the truth with you because you're members of one another. Does that make sense? That's how this, this sort of, this whole discipleship structure of teaching works. It's, it starts with, the, starts with the elders, trickles on down. So for most of you here tonight, when you teach in discipleship, what this means is you're not going to be doing what I'm doing right now. Fair? What I'm doing right now is I'm standing up here, like, teaching. Like, the actual, like, what we, th- what we think about when we think about teaching. But you're going to be working with someone one-on-one. Most of you will be working with someone one-on-one. Your teaching is going to look like helping them understand the lies that they've believed at the most fundamental level. And you're going to be helping them learn to embrace the truth in a particular area and learn to live by that truth now instead of the lies that they believed. Okay, I don't want to move forward. Does that make sense? Okay, we got that? Because we're going to build on that. Okay. You can see in your subheading here that the, the, the faithful practice is teaching, and I'm calling it becoming a disciple who discerns lies and reveals truth. That's, you could think of that as your job, one of the fundamental jobs that you have. Now, again, I have so much I want to say, and I was talking to Mary last night about, like, how do I, how do I synthesize and boil this down into a way that doesn't overwhelm you and yet um, gives you enough data? I think when we think of discipling, our first thought is like, okay, I'm going to, like, let's pick a book and go through a book together, right? And that's not bad. Like, that's great. That's better than doing nothing, all right? But what I want you to see is a, is a more proactive approach that we can be taking with one another as we're getting down to the, the actual issues of our lives and learning how to work from those back out into faithful practice, um, rather than just throwing a book at somebody and saying, hey, I don't know what we should do, let's just read this. Does that make sense? This is going to be a lot more targeted. doesn't mean the other option's bad. I'm just giving you an, another option that probably I don't hear a lot of people talking about. Okay? So, unless you're like a biblical counselor. So then you go to biblical counseling and you go that route, which this is basically all this is. A little teaser there for the biblical counseling training. So, as we get back to kind of our sequence, last time I encouraged you to befriend others in this body, befriending people you don't know. And I, I wanted you to start befriending people or continue doing that with the hopes of maybe you can disciple some of those folks, starting a discipling relationship. So you, you've had the, the newly married couple over a few times now. You've gotten to know them. You've heard their conversion, how they, how they were saved and how they got to know one another, and you've enjoyed the time. And it's kind of like, okay, the husband, I've been married 10 years now, and he's newly married, and okay, I want to begin investing in this guy. But you've not gotten deep, right? You know, that kind of word that we like, you like, just kind of, you stayed around the con- your conversion story, and you kind of talked about your hobbies, and what you like to do, your work, and your kids, and so what do you do? Like, how do you, how do you move forward from that point? Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? Is that common? Do you feel that way? Hey, wow, you're not very, uh, not very talkative tonight. Okay, I'm just going to assume that maybe you feel that way, and we're going to keep going. So how do you get to the point that you're actually helping somebody work through their sin, and then how do you actually help them? 
So that's what tonight's all about. I want to talk with you about how to help others see their deception and come to understand the truth. So I'm going to give you six encouragements. We probably won't get through them all tonight. That's okay because we got another week. But let me just hit them up front for you. Let me give you the bird's eye view. Again, just kind of piggybacking off what Tim said earlier. Don't want to overwhelm you. Uh, This is all about just helping people trust Jesus. First thing here, as you can see on your outline, high, high level, don't be afraid to probe. You're thinking, what? I'll explain. But you have to kind of get in there with people. You have to kind of ask some, some questions to draw out some responses. So that's first. Don't be afraid to probe. And then next, as you get to maybe a key issue in their life, you're going to want to seek to genuinely understand them. The temptation is to start throwing solutions at them, right? It's like, well, they just told me that they're dealing with X, you know. Now it's time to go to all the verses about anxiety, you know. Um, Let's just hold off on that, that impulse, good impulse, but we want to seek to genuinely understand. That's number two. Number three, we want to help them respond rightly to their sin. Now, this is huge. This may be all we get to tonight. But respond rightly to their sin because first and foremost, they have offended God. There's a relational breach that's happened. Their consciences are inflamed and guilty. And so we have to deal with that before we move forward. And obviously we've talked about this in depth, but confession and and repentance is that first step. So help them respond rightly to their sin. Then number four, we're going to begin identifying the lies of the old self, of their old self, in that particular moment of sin then as you're helping them do that you want to number five identify the truth that they should be believing instead of those lies and then number six you would want to then map out what this would look like to really obey to orient their life around what they what they say they believe does that make sense because their life is oriented around their deception and their desires and that's why they're sinning But if we're saying, okay, the truth is actually here, we're not going to worry about your desires, and we're just going to act on what we know the truth to be in that moment and trust that your desires are going to come around in line with the truth. That's the key. So that's where we're headed. That's kind of bird's eye view. All right, let's look at this in depth. You guys got this? I'm just going to erase this piece here. Don't be afraid to probe. All right, let's play that Reed Clay's mind game again. What do you think I mean by that? Asking questions specifically about their life. Yeah. Asking questions. That's right. That's good. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the idea is just don't be afraid to, to, to get in there and begin to draw them out. Like draw them out. Kind of go from the conversations that you've been having to maybe go a little bit deeper. So unless we're glorified, everyone has something the Lord is teaching them or growing them in. Okay, is that fair? Everyone has some type of besetting sin that they need help with. Everyone has something, something that the Lord has his finger on in their life. <laughs> and the younger we are in the faith, the more of those we have, right? And usually in conjunction with this sort of conviction, there's some circumstance that the Lord has brought into their life, some difficulty And that's helping expose their heart and reveal the sin pattern or revealing it's getting to that area of deception. Does that make sense? We all have sin. We talked about that. This discipleship is an ongoing thing. So we can know that about people that are coming to us. You following me? And we can know that God knows and cares more about that than we do. And God's bringing those circumstances and hemming them in in their life in the areas that that he's working in. And so one of the things that I think about when I'm entering into relationships with people is I know this. Like this is like, this is true about everyone that I'm interacting with. I have areas that I can name to you that the Lord is working on me in. And I'm sure you can too. Or I hope you can. If we can't, we're either deceived or we're perfect. And I know you're not perfect. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, people that come to us are kind of coasting through life. They're unaware of where they need to grow, and that's okay. That's why we're here. 
Um, we want to help you with that. It really doesn't matter if you can identify it or if they can, they can identify it or they can't. We know that this is reality. And the point is we all, we all need to grow. And if discipling is helping someone follow Jesus better, if discipling is helping them take one step forward in that path, then I need to know as a discipler where they're at. So again, make sense? So if I'm trying to help you become more like Jesus in our friendship, then I'm going to try to find out from you where that's at, like where, where, where your patterns are, where the sin struggles are. And I know that sounds like super invasive, you know, in terms of relationships, but that's, that's the reality. And I call, I call this probing. All right, so there's lots of ways you could do this. Now you see it on your outline. Um, I don't remember the order that I have them, have them on in your outline, but... What's the first one that you have there? Prayer. prayer. Okay. Probe through prayer. What do, I, what do I mean by that? Well, we ask people, how can I be praying for you? Right? That's a great natural segue from a kind of casual relationship to something a little bit more, a little more deep. How can we be praying for you? I know you guys like, take prayer requests at your lunch group of students that come over. That's just a great way to begin getting into people's lives. An even better question along the same lines, is how can I pray for your growth? What's different about that question? More specific. It's more specific. It gets away from Aunt Susie's toe. It's, just, it's not bad to pray for that. Seriously. That's not bad to pray for that. But, you know, typically, how can I pray for you? We think, okay, wow, I've got this aunt. She's sick. Can you please pray for that? And it's like, yeah, I can pray for that. How can I pray for you? Like how, and, and specifically, how can I pray for your development in Christ? Because those are the only kinds of prayers, ultimately, that we have guarantees that God's going to answer from First John. Yep. Amen. Amen. And getting you to think is, all, is a good thing, isn't it? So again, that's how you, one way you can be proactive. Just, again, asking people how you can be praying and specifically praying for their growth. You can probe a trial. Okay, that's your next, next thing in your outline. So let me give you an example. Someone confesses to you that she's struggling with chronic pain. She's been to doctors, but she hasn't had many answers. She hasn't had much success. Your heart breaks for her, naturally. You, you empathize. If you're gifted with mercy, you're going to think about, you know, let me get on the Internet and try to figure out solutions and homeopathy and if you're into that and all these things. But that, if that's, you know, if you, especially with, with the gift of mercy. But in that conversation, she's confessing that to you. She's telling you about that. So you tell her you love her. You're going to be praying for her next appointment. And you could stop there. Be, I mean, and those, those are all great things to do. Or here's what probing would sound like. Hey, I'm sure that is so hard. Like, you know, even if you can't identify with that, if you don't have chronic pain, that's okay. I'm sure that's so hard. How has this chronic pain affected your relationship with the Lord? What did that just do? Changed it from physical to spiritual. Yeah. You just made that connection. From spiritual to physical or from physical to spiritual. And it brought it brought the Lord in his, you know, you just kind of opened the door to begin talking about that. You might find that she's resenting the Lord for the chronic pain. That she's doubting the Lord's goodness because of the chronic pain. You might hear some of that stuff starting to come out. That she's doubting his sovereignty. He can't really be in control of this, can he? All kinds of things could come out. And because and guess what? God is actually sovereign over that. And he loves her. And he's bringing that, as hard as that is, he's bringing that in her life to work tremendous good. And so you can just follow up. You can ask a question about a trial and ask it to kind of segue into, into her relationship with the Lord. That's what I mean by probing a trial. You can probe their conscience. All right, next on your outline. Probe their conscience. This is more direct approach. So a question I like to ask is, you know, if, if I'm just kind of starting out with a guy and we're, he's wanting to meet a disciple, I'm, I'm going to ask him, you can almost guarantee it, where is your conscience plaguing you right now? Like, I don't know that. But you do. If there's one area of your life that you could change, like overnight, I stole this from Mark Hager. If there's one thing about you, God could just change overnight about your spiritual life, what would it be? You never had to struggle with it again. 
That might not be their most pressing issue, you know, if we kind of, if I could x-ray their life, but it doesn't matter. Like, this, that's the issue that's plaguing them right now. It's plaguing their conscience, and I want to start there to help them get some traction in, in that particular area. Probe their conscience. Or, if you're really not getting anywhere, okay, and it's kind of like you're, you've tried all these things, and um, this, is, <laughs> this is a more proactive approach, even more proactive than, I, you know, if they're saying... They're really, their life's good, and they can't really think of anything, then I'm going to go on the offensive, and I'm going to start probing some areas of their responsibility. And I'm, what I mean by that is God has given all of us areas of responsibility in our lives that he wants us to steward well, to steward unto his, his glory. So, like right now, I am a husband, I am a father, I am a pastor, I am a brother, I'm a son, I'm a citizen, I'm a church member, so that I've named at least seven areas of responsibility that I have. And the Lord wants me to be faithful in those. He's given them all to me at one time. So as a husband, let's just take one of those. Let's take the, the older, you know, 10-year-old, 10-year, 10-year anniversary husband to the one-year anniversary husband. The 10-year anniversary husband could say something like, hey, how's your marriage? How's that going? Or more specifically, getting, getting into an area of responsibility, how are you doing shepherding your wife? That might, they might say, huh? And if they say, huh, guess what? I know what area we're going to work on. Because that's a huge issue. Them not having a strategy, them not having thought about how they're going to shepherd their wife means that they're not living an, a, a, a proactive life spiritually themselves, and it also means that they're not living, they're not being a spiritual shepherd of their home. And I get it. I'm gutted by this all the time. This is difficult work. It's not easy. There's lots of failure. So I'm not saying nobody, no husband in the room has it together. None of the pastors have it together in this area. But we're thinking about it. It's on our radar. We're humbling ourselves when we're failing. We're trying to, by God's grace, um, exhibit some fruit here. So my point here is you could take any of those areas of responsibility and begin to probe in that based on the categories that, that God has given us in Scripture. And if they don't know those categories, we get to help them build those categories. So I think you'll probably get something from those other pieces first. Um, but I, I like that. I, like, I want to put that in there because it kind of gives you an idea of, okay, I can, I can be much more proactive in my discipling of, of someone and kind of smoke out the areas that they're not thinking about that they need to be thinking about. Um, but that's maybe a little bit more advanced. All right, let me give you just some, some practical uh, advice here on this point. As people start talking to you about these things, you start to probe and they start talking, especially if they're less mature and they're just all over the map with issues. Try to focus on one area. Don't try to tackle like four areas at one time because that's not practical. That's, is that how you grow? Are you, are, you, are you advancing? I mean, like I know in God's providence, he's... he's sanctifying us in multiple areas at one time but you know if you're it's not how i grow i kind of have to attack an area in particular and and at least begin to work that through get a strategy deal with that and i kind of work from the most problematic areas down right um so i would encourage you not to focus on multiple areas at once because it just seems overwhelming and another encouragement on that is that as as your disciple is getting clarity in this whole process of what it means to sort of triage their heart and do everything that we're going to talk about, they're being equipped to deal with the rest of the areas of their life themselves. That's a new idea. Just threw a new idea in there too. Do you, does that make sense? So they're learning the process like in this one window. The lady with anxiety is going to learn, okay, how to fight her fear biblically all she's doing is, is taking how to grow, sanctification. She's applying it to this one area, and she's learning how to grow in that one area. But guess what? She's learned, she's practicing biblical sanctification, that then the next time she's struggling with depression, she's going to be able to transfer that over to depression. That, so she might need some help still, but she's being equipped. You're being able to equip her even as you focus on one area at a time. I find this to be extremely encouraging and extremely helpful. 
All right. So once you've identified that you're like an area that your friend needs help in, and it's kind of the point of the probe, you know, to identify that that area and help them identify that area. You know, obviously, if you're if you're paired together, you kind of get to avoid the whole probe thing in the beginning. You know, it's just like, okay, Pastor Clay knows that Jill needs this, has this issue, and Jill and Jill's paired up with this lady for that particular thing. Okay, now you get to work on something. So, if that's you, if you've been paired up, you've got somebody with an issue. Key in here now, point number two. What do you do next? Well, again, you you don't really even know the half of it yet. Okay, so that person who is struggling to wake up on time. It's like, okay, you just told me the, the bad fruit that I'm not being able to wake up on time. There's that whole, there's the root system there that we got to get to. Or the guy that's, that's looking at pornography, how I'm looking at pornography. So there's the, here's the iceberg, right? There's the porn. And then here's all this stuff that you don't know yet. And that's okay, you're not going to know that. Just with the first, with the first admission. So that means you've got to seek to genuinely understand. So how do we do that? What's some kind of practical advice here on this? Well, I would say you want to start by listening carefully, and you want to listen empathetically. Do I have that on your outline? Now let me just hit a few texts for you real quick. I'll just read them to you, and you can look them up later. I've got them on your outline. Think about these texts in context of what I'm, what I'm saying here. We want to we listen. Proverbs 18.2 A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Proverbs 18.13, same chapter. If one gives an answer before he hears it, it is his folly and shame. Proverbs 29.20 Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And I've been there. Philippians 2, 4, you know, just another principle here. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's this outward, patient, I think good listening is an implication of that verse. So we want to we listen carefully and empathetically. But we've got to ask good questions. That's your second, your second sub-point on your outline. We've got to ask good questions. We want to, to seek to genuinely understand by, by asking good questions. Now, this is crucial, crucial in, in this step. So I'll just tell you kind of how I, I begin to process through it with somebody. This is just sort of anecdotal. This doesn't mean you have to go do this. But I'll give you kind of my how I think about it. I, th- I start with the pattern of sin, like its circumstances. So did you guys have that, that chart? I'm going to give you one of those like every week. So you have lots of them just laying around. So that you fill it out for yourself, and then you have extras if you need it. So I start in that first column, kind of mentally. I'm, st- I'm, I'm asking questions around this sort of sin, its pattern, its manifestation. This, this part of the iceberg, if you want to keep it, keep it there. So let's just, again, take the pornography, pornography uh, illustration. So you're telling me that, you're, that you have a problem with lust. What do you mean by that? What's happening in lust? So you're kind of defining terms. Okay, so their, their idea of lust may be different than your idea of lust. So what do, you, what do you mean by that? Define the terms. You want to ask questions kind of around the history, okay? So how long have you struggled with this? How often are you tempted now? Like, what does this look like? You know, they might confess it to you, and it might sound like they looked at pornography one time this last month, and you find out it's three times a day. How have you tried to deal with your sin? So what have, what have been your solutions historically? You know, how have you, how have you tried to work through these things? Because they're probably in your sitting with you, because it's failed. Their strategies have failed. They might be blaming God. You know, I prayed and this didn't happen. Um, asked the Lord to deliver me from my lustful desires and that didn't happen. And so now I'm defeated. I asked him to take down all the, you know, pornographic images from the internet and he didn't. So, you know, how have you, how have you tried to, to fight this in the past? It's important to know. And then... I also like to ask questions about what's happening after they've done it. 
So after they, and this is very important because it gets to how they're responding to their sin. What happens after you sin? What happens after you lust? How do you handle that? And so then at that point, you know, there, and there's no sequence. So, Mary, if I'm, if I'm like just weighing here, is that there's in the sense of she and I talk about this stuff all the time. I'm like, okay, I don't want to muddle, muddy the waters. I, the danger in presenting this is it's like a scope and sequence. And like, it's not. This is a relationship. You're going to remember things. You're going to ask certain questions. You're going to wish you asked other questions. It's, it, it's not like, don't feel like I'm giving you the silver bullet because I'm not. I'm just trying to help you scratch at something to where the Lord can maybe work through some of those questions, okay? So after this point, after I've kind of gotten a, a bit of a read on the manifestation of the problem, I've got to get down here to understanding what's the root system, what's going on. And by that, I'm talking about, you know, their thinking, and their desires, remember, in our, in our little scheme, you've got the corrupting behaviors, the desires, and then the deceptions that are happening in that. So that's these deceptions, you know, we can put, put that down here, you know, put that up here too. Just whatever's swirling around in their inner person, the inner man, inner woman. And that's really your second, your second column of your sheet. So I want to ask questions about what? What was I, I? I say it like this. What was the real going in your head? Like R E E L. Like the the real that was playing in your head when you did this, when you were le- when it was leading up to this. What were you thinking about when you were tempted? What were you saying to yourself after you sinned? What were you telling yourself? And this is getting at the old man or the old woman that deceived self, because that deceived self is always talking. And unless you're talking back at it with the truth of Scripture, we're just going to fall to the deception every time. So what was going on in your head? What was happening when you were tempted? After you sinned, what were you telling yourself? Another kind of set of questions you could ask is, what, what, what was it that you were, you were really after? Like the goal? Like what was motivating you? And again, man, it gets murky. You know, if anybody, if you've tried to think about these questions yourself for your own sin issues, um, it, it, it's this is like murky water. Only the Lord ultimately knows the heart. What were you really after in this moment? What, what did you want most in this situation? So again, trying to get at the desire level, the motivational level here, it's underneath. I should probably give you some examples uh, at this point. Yeah, I can't think of any off the cuff. Um, drawing a blank. All right, what, what were you afraid of, of losing? Here's another question, like a fear. Oftentimes I've found, and you'll find, that fear is a huge motivator in sin. People are afraid. And if you can begin to ask questions about the fear um, or get them thinking about that, what am I afraid of? I'm, I'm afraid I'll never get married. And so I'm just taking the easy route. Um, you know, I, I'm terrified that the battle is just going to go on and on. I'm not going to be able to, to, to sustain this, this level of temptation. There's lots of fear that's swirling around. And then here's the last one that I'll, I'll, I'll just give you and then we'll move on. Uh, what's your own assessment of what's going on inside you? So again, it's getting at how they're perceiving what's happening. I want to know that as I'm going to try to help them. I want to understand kind of how are they thinking about this. And you're going to get that as, as you get more experience in dealing with people. You're going to kind of hear how they're thinking about it. Um, the more we talk, the more we reveal. It's a good principle. All right, so these questions kind of move toward the inner man, inner woman. And this is how we're you know, seeking to genuinely understand. And then at some points, as, as people are talking, I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to kind of keep track of things. I might even be writing some stuff down, you know, as I'm just letting them talk. I want to try to clarify where there's confusion. I think there's, that's in your outline. So if, if there's something, again, that's not clear, 
then sort of either make a note of that mentally, jot something down, you can come back to it, or stop them in the moment and ask them for clarity. Can you give me an example of what you just said? It's a good question. Like, flesh that out for me. Like, help me see. Okay, you said that. Can you give me an example? Um, Something I like to say is, hey, so pause. Like, let me just make sure I'm tracking with you, and then I repeat what they said in my own words. Because that helps. There's a, no, 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 you didn't get that. That's not what I meant. It's like, well, that's great to know, because that's, that's what I'm operating off of, you know? So we, we want to, to not be operating off of wrong assumptions or wrong, uh, my own interpretation of what they said. So sometimes I'll just stop, just make sure I'm understanding you. And if, if they're saying, yeah, 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 that's right, um, you got it, then A, they feel heard, and I, I'm earning credibility because I'm actually taking the time to listen, but I'm actually understanding them. So I'm not falling into those Proverbs categories of uh, not hearing and not listening. That's just a good check for me to kind of, okay, yes, I've got it. And again, just to get back to the, the protecting you from the silver bullet idea, people ask me all the time, like, Clay, how do you ask these, like, how do you ask these questions? Like, how do you know? Like, my only motive is to understand these people. Like, that's all I'm trying to do. And if I feel like something's hazy, then it's like, I've got to get at it from another angle. So that's, that's, that's it. Like, there's no secret. There's no magic sauce here of, like, how do you know what questions to ask? It's just, I want to know, I want to know this person, and I want to know kind of what, what they're experiencing clearly and accurately. Again, more just, more just advice here. Don't feel the pressure to immediately have a solution. I'll say that again. Don't feel the pressure to immediately have a solution. One of my professors used to describe the experience of asking people questions, trying to listen to them, trying to hold everything in your mind. It's like they just threw up spaghetti, and now you've got to figure out like the threads of that spaghetti and try to like make sense of all of everything they just said. If you don't do that very much, if you don't ask very many questions and you begin to ask questions and people begin to say things, it's going to feel like that. You're going to feel like, what do I do with all that? Um, I'm not real sure. So if that's you, please don't say anything. Like don't don't, don't give any counsel uh, that you're going to have to retract in that moment. Just empathize, pray for them, give them hope, right? Like so, give me some examples. What kind of hope could you give somebody that just vomited all over you, spiritually speaking? <laughs> What's that? Tell them you'll be praying for them. Okay, you're going to be praying, yes. Jesus is the Savior of whatever just came out of their mouth. Jesus is the solution of whatever just came out of their mouth. It's a Je- grace that, that sin is revealed. It's a grace that sin is revealed. That is right, yes. They are here by the sovereign providence of God to be sitting right across from you, a believer, if they're an unbeliever. Just appeal to all of that, all these things you know. And just pump them full of as much hope as you can so you can get another meeting with them. You know, so that you can, you can have another conversation. Then set up a time to get back together with them so you can buy some time to think. You can buy some time to search the scriptures. And best thing, you can buy some time to talk to one of your pastors about it and get some help. You know, if you don't know what to do. And, and you may need to bring them in on that scenario. I would just try at all costs to avoid like a four-hour counseling meeting. If you've been on the receiving end of that, you know what I'm talking about. You've probably been there because I've been counseling you. (laughs) So don't just avoid that, all right? We we reach saturation point much more quickly than four hours, okay? So uh, just just try to avoid that. Just kind of keep it tight. And then, and then go up the chain. Get counsel from the shepherding structure. That's why that structure is so important. To be involved in a Sunday school class. To have elders over top of you that you can go to. That they know that they know the dynamics here. All right, I have to heed my Pastor Brian's uh, <laughs> severe <laughs> admonition. That's why I'm anxiously looking at the clock every three seconds. You don't have the wheels down yet. So. <laughs> I don't have to land. we got part two coming next week. So. All right, so... Let me give you one more bit of advice here on this with your sheet. One of the things I'll do typically in this, I like to think of it in my mind as like just an assessment. I try to take the pressure off 
and just I don't, I'm not going to just like give you scope and sequence of, of help and change. Even as a pastor, I just try to take the pressure off that first meeting and just say, I'm just here to, I'm just here to listen, just here to understand, offer you some hope. And then if it's if it's a habituated thing like pornography, you know, one of the I actually have a lot of materials on this, so that's not a good example. Let's say anxiety or fear of man. I'll may assign that that log that I just described to you, that that little thing, and I say, hey, I want you to go home. And every time that you're dealing with this issue, you're afraid. You kind of have that panic attack. I want you to write that down. Like, write down what's, what's going on, the circumstances, because I want to start helping you think about the patterns that are happening here. I want you to write that down, and then I want you to begin to think about, like, step outside yourself and start thinking about what you're thinking about. Because I can't tell you how many people I talk to, they're like, I'm not thinking anything. Yes, you are. Like, the, the Bible says you are. So, it's okay. I don't roll my eyes. So <laughs> I try not to. Maybe I have. Um, but I say just just trust the scriptures I want you to go home and I want every panic attack now to become your teacher it's purposeful you're going to get to learn about your old woman or old man and what lies you tell yourself because you don't recognize them as lies because you're deceived so all I'm asking you to do is just get it down like write it down on paper start thinking about what you're thinking about you don't have to evaluate it. I will help you do that. I just want to see what's going on inside of you. I want to see what's going on inside of the old man. And so then, if they can send it to you ahead of time, if they're digital, and they can, they can write it down or they can scan it in and send it to you ahead of time, then you're that much further ahead the next time you talk to them because now you're not just responding in the moment, especially if you're not that good on your feet. Um, and none of us are when we're, when we're brand new at this. So if they can give it to you ahead of time, you can kind of begin thinking about, wow, what, is this, what does this say? Let's stop there. <laughs> Saying the good graces of my boss. <laughs> Any questions about this point? Or anything we've said? Would it be reasonable for us to practice on ourselves? What do you think? Yes. Jake, you know something about what we do on Wednesdays? We do on Wednesday mornings. Uh, yeah, I get a group of people together and each week just grill one of them for about an hour straight. That wasn't oh, accurate. Of Christ. <laughs> what? It is. <laughs> so, what are the things we do Wednesday mornings to your question about should we practice on ourselves? We have uh, what's ended up being like a counseling lab. So I've got a, a group of guys that meet, and they're brave. And they come in, and I was like, all right, this semester, we're going to pick one of the areas that's burning your life down. And we're going to, I want you to talk about it. And then I make all the other guys ask them questions for like most of the time, right? So you can't start giving solutions. You've got to start trying to practice. And so I try to kind of help guide it. So it's a controlled environment, but it's rough. I mean, the, the guys are just like, yeah, this is tough. So we try to, we try to. Be gracious. I'm not saying, therefore, go do likewise. Um, but yes, let's get to your point because the better that we can that we can understand ourselves biblically, and we can self-talk um, and renew our minds. Yeah, the much more equipped we'll be uh, with with other people. But yes, if you're in a, kind of an environment and you kind of all in this class, you're like, hey, I've got this issue. Help me work through these steps. Yes, great. Go do that. The more you do that, the more. Let's just think of it as like working out. You're building spiritual muscle the more you do that in your, in your own life. And you're going to be that much more useful and helpful to other people. Yeah, good question. Hayden. Does this apply in any way to unbelievers? If you're trying to help an unbeliever see their... Yes! See, now you're learning, and now you're going to get to learn how to evangelize too. Because guess what? They're deceived and they have no power. Yeah. Yeah, so you get to make use of all of that. The Lord gives us the x-ray of the heart. He gives us the x-ray of, of, of what, where people are at, what's going on. I can't tell you how many times I've said, sitting, sitting across from somebody, and I've said, hey, does your, do you think this? And I'll tell them. And they're like, what? Like, how did you know that? I'm like, oh, and I bet you think this too. 
And they're just like, what is this, like a witch? Like, what, what, you know, what's going on? Especially if they're an unbeliever, you know. And then it's just fun. Because it's like, <laughs> seriously, because you know the issues. And better than they do. And, and you know their heart better than they know it. And so that is, that often kind of gives an ear of like, whoa, like what, what is he saying? He seems to have insight, you know, this transcendent um, that's sort of interpreting me. And it's sort of unnerving. I mean, if you've sat there, you've been, you know, even as a believer, it's unnerving. Like, if you've sat there. But the only reason you know that is you know your own heart. You know your own heart. You don't know them. You don't have x-ray vision and see in their heart. But you know what your heart does. And the human hearts are eerily similar. Yeah. It's good. I'm putting one of my questions out there for you. Yeah. Hey, in that kind of situation for me, I say, how's that working out for you? Sure. That's great. It's like one of my questions. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and the more we understand unbelievers, I mean, the better it's going to be. You know? Yeah. Totally. In, in so many ways. Yeah. Good. Hey, Clay. Mm hmm. When you're talking to somebody and they confess some sort of issue to you, do you have a. Um, is there one thing you can think of that you try to include in your first meeting with them? Like, a, a must that should be there, like you want to get to this point before, like you can do other things later in future meetings, but you want to make sure you include, is there something you want to make sure you include the first time that you don't miss? Depends on the time, but yeah, if I can help them confess their sin, yeah. But sometimes, when we'll talk about that next time, sometimes there's a lot, you, you need to kind of work through that. I know it sounds like work through confession um, yeah because they could be blame shifting they could not be seeing their sin accurately and you want you don't just want to like rush them to say mouth some words to God when they don't understand the significance of their sin and not that they have to understand it to the nth degree I'm just talking about if they're continuing in this case to keep blaming their smartphone or the failure of covenant eyes that does that's, there's no confession that's happening there because confession is, is a public owning of your sin, a taking full responsibility for it. So if I feel like they're at the point, that's like my next step. If I feel like they're at the point of that, and they're broken, they're, you know, I'm, of course, that's where I'm going. It's like, hey, there's hope. But I want to leave them with hope either way. But I, I, I typically, maybe there's the different method on that, but I, I typically will wait. That would be the next objective that I'm trying to cover with them is to restore their relationship with God and anyone else that needs to be restored with, and then begin to, to triage the, the issues here. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if that, is that helpful? Yeah, helpful. yeah. I'm trying to avoid the four-hour meeting. Yep. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'll, I'll pray with them. If they seem to be contrite, maybe even helping them confess, and then we might even deep dive further in next time into confession and the significance of that. But yeah, just like... If they're ready, cleanse their conscience. Yeah, move forward in hope. That would be my goal at the end of the meeting. Yeah. Yeah, good question. Great. All right. Well, let's end. I'm blaming you, Tuck. If, uh... <laughs> Speaking of taking responsibility, I'm going to pass that off. All right, you guys are dismissed. We'll pick it back up next week. <laughs>